Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. So, uh, Paul David Tripp, I do not know him personally. I feel like he is my friend because when I read what he writes, it just resonates with me. But the other day, uh, he shared a story. He said, as I listened to them argue, blame, and graphically recount one another's wrongs, all colored with hurt and anger, a sad thought gripped me. The vast majority of what they needed to hear in order for their relationship to be what God intended it for it to be was clearly written in the Bible that each of them had said they believed. Their marriage was the sad casualty of their street-level unwillingness to listen to God's wisdom and seek the grace he offered to live with one another in light of it. So the writer says, consider this passage, live together with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I couldn't let this go this week. He, he quotes Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, and we have been there. And he says here that this applies to all of our relationships. But he's speaking of a couple here, a husband and a wife. And just a few thoughts in, about this story before we even move on. You know, the verse says, with all humility, pride always destroys a relationship. These are not my thoughts, right? Um, but, but they're the biblical thoughts. It causes you to feel more entitled, more demanding than serving and giving. It drives one to insist on control. It makes me have to be right. It forces others to submit to my lordship. Pride is anti-relational. And he says in gentleness, guys, this one's challenging. Gender neutral guys, everyone. Treating a person with gentleness this one's real personal for me, makes him or her want to move near you. Responding with gentleness teaches another person that he or she is safe in your care. It's an essential relational bond with patience. You cannot have healthy communion with another flawed human being without being willing to wait. If you demand to have things your way and in your time, you are so busy loving yourself that you have little time left to love the other person. Oh my. Bearing with one another in love. Love requires that I be willing to be forbearing. That means willing to suffer. Why? Because I am in a relationship with a less than perfect person living together in a fallen world. Both of us share that. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. So love here means unity is more important to me than being right, having my way or getting what I want. Love rejoices in the fact that God's spirit in both of you gives you a wonderful platform for unity. Lastly, in the bond of peace, love means committing to making peace, not war. Someone said to Diane and I recently, Say this after me, my spouse is never my enemy. <laughs> and so we both repeated with smiles on our faces, my spouse is never my enemy. 
Oh, my friends, as we embark this morning here in Ephesians chapter 5, in this last, uh, these last verses of Ephesians chapter 5, uh, it's referred to as the family or household codes. As we move forward in this passage, we did not, I did not, I'm not that good. I did not plan a sermon for husbands and wives on Father's Day. I didn't. So fathers, uh, husbands, uh, look, uh, uh, I hope that what we talk about today is encouraging and, and propels us forward in our marriages and in all of our relationships. Listen, I understand that um, not every husband today is a father and that not every father today is necessarily a husband. So a couple of y'all write that down. You might need to think about it for a minute. Because I have friends, I don't know how I ended up, I, I have several dear friends who are husbands, but they are not dads. And for several reasons, and most of the time I'm smart enough, I don't ask why, unless someone chooses to share with me, but several um, friends, couples, husbands and wives who do not have children, and whether they choose to have children or cannot have children, um, um, you know, uh, uh, the thought just occurred to me. So I didn't plan this. This is God's doing today. So we are here in Ephesians chapter five, right? And let's not forget that Paul has just challenged the believers to walk wisely by making the most of every opportunity, right? He has taught us that we understand the will of the Lord by being filled with the spirit. The last characteristic the last, there were five imperatives, right? You all remember that, right? Because none of y'all forgot what we talked about last week. <laughs> the last characteristic of being filled with the Spirit is found in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This verse concludes the section from 5, 15 through 21, but it is also related to what is to follow, and that's what we're talking about today. The only way that we can fulfill our duties to our families and employers is being by being filled with the spirit so in the family or household codes here paul's going to talk about relationships between husband and wife jumps into chapter six talks about relationship between children and parents and then and then lastly talks about relationships between slaves and masters uh, and we um, we move that we move that forward sometimes properly sometimes improperly to say you know, our relationships as employers and employees, um, but not ignoring the fact that slavery was real in biblical times and slavery has been a reality throughout the course of human history because of the sinfulness of mankind. Some inflict their will and pain and um, selfishness and hatred on others um, throughout the course of history. By the way, the Bible never condones or approves of slavery most often it speaks of it as just a reality um, throughout the course of history um, so the first relationship paul deals with is marriage uh, dr timothy keller says i believe there's no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage in the Bible's account, God himself officiates at the first great wedding in Genesis chapter 2. And when the man sees the woman, he breaks into poetry and he exclaims, at last, those are his first words, at last. Everything in that text proclaims that marriage, next to our relationship with God, is the most profound relationship there is. 
And that is why, like knowing God himself, coming to know and love your spouse is difficult and painful, yet rewarding and wondrous. So we're gonna see a few things today. We'll get to our first slide here. And say, Lord, I thought he'd never start, right? At the very beginning here, in the first few verses, uh, so we're husbands and wives today, right? And then our next slide, wives, wives submitting to husbands. We see Paul gives a very similar instruction to several churches, and we also see that Peter gives this instruction to some families um, to whom he is writing a letter. But I think it's very important to see a couple of things, and I'm going to try to try to keep myself in order today. Verse 21 of chapter 5 was part of our text last week, right? So Paul says, keeping unity in love and being filled with the Spirit, one of the things we do in the church is we are submitting, um, we are submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. That's everyone in the church. Um, being willing, it requires humility, right, to put myself up under someone else. In other words, the pastor, elders, deacons, teachers, they're not the only ones in the church who are filled with the Spirit and give advice and speak wisely and encourage. This is for all of us. So in a healthy church, in unity, in love, we are to submit ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. As a matter of fact, in verse 22, when he says wives, in the Greek language, be submissive or be subject isn't even there. It says wives to your husbands as to the Lord. We see some beautiful things here because our culture nowadays, um, many would cringe if that scripture were read in their presence. And they would say it's disrespectful to women and that women shouldn't submit to anyone. And, and, and what we're going to see here is a beautiful thing that God does through the gospel in the hearts of men and in the hearts of women when they become husbands and wives. And so, wives submitting to husbands. In Colossians 3.19, Paul gives a very similar, um, a very similar uh, uh, instruction. In verse 18, he says, Wives, be subject or submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So, next slide. We've got to talk just a little bit for a moment about biblical headship in the family, Okay. I'm uh, going to be thoughtful. Um, there are some things that, that we're just reading and talking about in the Word of God, and we could spend all day on it, and you're glad I'm not going to today, right? But we're going to talk about this idea of biblical headship in the family. In order to do that, we have to go back to the beginning and see God's design for the family. And by the way, God's design for the family in Genesis chapters 1 through 3 before sin and after sin. Okay, uh, next slide. We're going to see in Genesis chapter 1, um, you know what, let's go ahead and pull the verses up and we'll come back to that slide. Thank you for being patient with me today, Selena. I think I start with 26 here. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see here in this first account, chapter one, the over creation and the overview of the creation of man and woman. Chapter two, we will see the in-depth uh, account of God creating man and woman. But um, one of the things, one of the most important things, and we talk about these verses a lot when we talk about um, ethnicity and race in our country as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to remember that each and every human being is created in the image of God. There is something very special about you. Some, some, say, um, some say that it's that innate thing from Romans chapter 1 that God puts inside us that we know, each and every human that's ever, we know that even though we deny it, some deny it, that we know that there is a God and we are made with that. Some say that being made in the image of God is just, is just our heart, our creativity, and our whole being, that we are different from the animals that we can love or that we were built for relationships. And so that is the image of God in you and in me. But when we're talking, um, when we're talking about God creating man and woman, there are a couple of thoughts. If we go back um, to the male-female slide, um, so male-female equality defined, I love this definition, and there are others. I'm not um, married to, oh, did I just say that on this Sunday? I'm not married to this definition, but it's a good one. I did that. Man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. There are several hundred implications of that. Not going to try to exhaust them this morning. By the way, biblical headship is not biblical do uh, domination. Uh, it is not do uh, do domination. It is not authoritarianism. It's not all the other abuses that um, men and Christians have used over the years to keep women down or to abuse power or use the Bible to keep and maintain power. That is not what God is talking about. That's why we're given a, just a brief definition here that man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. As a matter of fact, I am going to try to do this um, without taking a hard left turn. But you know, God creates all the animals uh, God creates the heavens, the earth, the night, and the day. But when he, creates, um, when he creates the animals, he just says created, you know, after their own kind. But when he creates man and woman, he mentions their sexuality very specifically. It says in verse 27, he created him male and female. He created them. God was up to something. God, the word of God, and supposedly Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, God spoke in certain ways very specifically. Amen? You hear what I'm saying, right? So we have this definition. We have this definition, and then we'll skip um, past the verses that I just read. And then we're gonna, I'm going to read a biblical definition here of male headship. 
in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. So when the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, when the Bible says then, wives to your own husbands, and by the way, he says as to the Lord. Okay, he says as to the Lord. And in Colossians, he makes a very similar statement. Here's what happens in marriage, folks. And most of you know this, right? Preaching to the choir today. But the woman, she willingly chooses to be married to a man and a Christian woman willingly chooses to be in this relationship under, watch this, under God's headship and in, um, under the headship of the husband to whom she is being married. Listen, you know why a godly woman is doing that? A godly woman is doing that because she is already submitting her life to the Lord. So submitting herself to a godly Christian husband is just another outworking of her, is just an outworking of her being submitted to the Lord. Jesus went to the cross. The gospel is all over this. You know, this marriage thing is the most beautiful uh, relationship. It is a picture. It is a picture of the gospel being painted for us. And I believe, um, I believe, subjective, it is one of the main reasons that God gives us this beautiful opportunity to be part of a relationship like this so we can better understand our relationship with Jesus. God, Jesus, it says in Philippians chapter 2, he laid aside some of what it was like to be God and he willingly came to earth. They didn't take his life when they arrested him. He willingly went to the cross. He could have done it differently. He submitted himself to his father. Oh my. Jesus Christ, being God, but also being our example and our Savior, submitted himself to his Father and willingly went to the cross. So this idea, this idea of a woman willingly submitting herself um, under the leadership in a relationship with a man with whom she will spend the rest of her life is something that she is choosing to do because she has already submitted her life to God. So we see this, um, we see this beautiful picture here of the gospel being laid over top of marriage. And we're going to talk just a little bit more about that. So next slide. Next slide is, I'm going to steal Dr. Keller's use of the secret to marriage. Dr. Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, that the secret to marriage is the gospel. Simply put, the secret of marriage is the gospel. You and I have already studied this in Ephesians. If we went to Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. Listen, that was who you used to be. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, you and I. Verse 5, we, God made us, Christ made us alive. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised up with him and seated up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. The secret, the secret to marriage, I mean the secret to marriage is the gospel. Husbands, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but ladies submitting themselves in their salvation relationship to Jesus Christ, having been made alive and in Christ, already submitting their lives to the Lord, now say, God, I trust you so much, I'm going to submit myself in this marriage relationship. But listen, we've had these, I've had these discussions before, I want to stay on track today. So in verses 22 through 24, we see, in this marriage relationship, we see a wife submitting to her husband, and then see, next slide, Again, uh, Dr. Keller's Dr. Keller's word here, but the power for marriage. We've talked about this in Ephesians already. Why is Paul Why is Paul taking us through all this doctrine and theology all these weeks? So that when we get here, we get it right. Ephesians five eighteen, he says, "Don't be drunk with wine; be filled with the Spirit." The power for marriage is the Holy Spirit. The enemy of marriage is selfishness and self centeredness. If I, if I try to, if I try to give, if I try, if one tries to give their spouse all the good things that they want to give them, and we're doing it in the flesh, one, sometimes our motives can be wrong. Sometimes I will give because I want to be in control. Sometimes I will give because I'd rather give than receive. So again, I like to be in charge of the process, right? Um, sometimes if I'm not walking in the spirit, I don't have anything good to give. Why? It is the Holy Spirit that fills us up. So the power for marriage for both husbands and wives is the Holy Spirit. I can't pour out everything that one cannot pour out everything that your spouse needs if you don't have anything to give. I used to bring pitchers of water up and dump one out, and I talked to the kids about it. it. looked like I was dumping it on the floor, but I would have a bucket back here, you know? And, and then I would say, see, sometimes, look, I don't have anything else to give you. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that fills me up. If I'm not walking in the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, living in the Spirit, I don't have anything to give the other. So we know so we know the secret to marriage is the gospel. The power for marriage is the Holy Spirit. So husbands and wives, one, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. If I'm going to be the husband, if you are going to be the husband or the wife that God has called you to be, we can only accomplish this in Christ Jesus too. We can only love our spouse and defeat the enemy of self-centeredness and selfishness. We already talked about pride being the enemy of, of all of our relationships, right? We can only do this in the Spirit. Secondly, in verses 25 through 31, we're going to talk about, for a few minutes, husbands loving wives. We talked about wives submitting and loving their husbands. We're now going to talk about husbands loving their wives in verses 25 through 31. We see here husbands, the command, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Now remember, this entire passage, Paul refers to it as the mega mysterion. We've talked about that before. This whole thing is a great mystery because now we're going to say, hold up, Paul, what are you really talking about, right? Because he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Almost missed Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Uh, and if we go back there, because we've already studied it, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. God put all things in subjection under Christ's feet, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So now here is Jesus, our example, husbands and wives, future husbands and wives, okay? Here is Jesus, our example. Jesus is the head of the church. The Bible refers to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, right here in Ephesians chapter 4, that we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. So we go all the way back to creation to just see where this thing started and what God's intentions were. Now, mind you, sin got in here. Adam and Eve sinned. And this whole thing got messed up. And the relationship between husbands and wives got messed up, right? Because sin makes us selfish. In the beginning, in the garden, they were naked and unashamed before sin. First thing they did after they sinned was they hid from God and then they made some clothes for themselves because they were naked and ashamed. So sin did something to the relationship. The relationship that can only be fixed by the God who created us. Amen? So, so we see here now that Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. The church is subject to Christ. And then Paul says, so wives should be to their husbands also. Now he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verses 26 and 27, we see the gospel laid over top of the marriage relationship. We see, A, we see this sacrificial love. We see the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ willingly obeying the Father, willingly going to the cross, willingly dying for you and for me. I often say in wedding ceremonies, I say, you know, guys, we like to be the hero of the movie, right? When you're watching a movie and the guy, I'm talking to guys now, the guy, he, he, he runs out in the traffic and, and, and saves the kid, the dog, or the beautiful woman, right, from being run over. Or he saves the woman from the bad guys, right? And in the movies, most men, we identify with that hero. We want to be the man, right? And, and we want to save the beautiful woman, right? Um, and so we have these grandiose ideas sometimes of being, maybe even with good motives, we want to be like Jesus. But you know what's much harder, um, what is a much harder thing for this particular husband is to die to myself daily in order to serve and love my wife. To, in the things that never make it on TV, or if they did, nobody will watch them because they would be very boring to you. Um, if you saw 
all of the 3,879 little things that I should be doing if I am really practicing sacrificial love towards my spouse. Hey, every once in a while, guys, you might get to be the hero. Go for it. But you know what is much more challenging for this particular guy is a sacrificial love that require, that is done in secret, unnoticed, no pats on the back, quietly, mindfully, loving and serving the other first. You see, that's the opposite of selfishness that creeps in that we talked about in the beginning. So we see this sacrificial love, we do. And then secondly, in verses 28 through 30, guys, there's so much here. We, we, we could do multiple weeks here. I could be like one famous preacher whose name I will not name today. And I could go a verse and a word at a time. And some of you will love that. And some of you would never come back. But um, here we go, right? Um, so we see that what Christ is doing in verses 26 and 27. So it says, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. You remember, sanctified, right? Holy and set apart for God's purposes with the washing of water and with the word that he might present to himself the church. Oh, now hold up. Here we go again. Right when we start talking about marriage and husbands and wives, Paul slams on the brakes, does a UE, and starts talking about the church again. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless. So what's going on here? Is Paul talking about husbands and wives, or is he talking about the church? Starting to get a little confused here, Paul, what's going on? But B, here in verses 28 through 30, we see another thing. We see that covenant love, covenant love is a commitment. Covenant love is a commitment. Some of you have this down. Um, if you had the blessing of having parents that stayed married for 50, 60 years, and maybe they're alive and well, and they are still that example for you, you have a special blessing. You have a blessing. You have role models. You have parents who have endured the test of time. But love is a commitment, but it's a covenant commitment. Remember, we talked about covenant commitment before. Actually, I talk about it quite a bit. Covenant says no matter what you do in this, in this relationship that we have, no matter what you do, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. Think about that for a minute. Now, contract is different. Once goods and services and goals are met, a contract is ended and it's over. It's no longer in force, right? Covenant says, covenant relationship, like our relationship with Jesus Christ, when Jesus said to you and me, no matter, Charlie, how much you mess this thing up, I'm going to be faithful to you. Wife says, husband, no matter how much you mess this thing up, I'm going to be faithful to you. Husband says, wife, because of Jesus, no matter what goes on, I'm not leaving. I'm going to be there. Covenant relationship. But you see, Jesus Christ is our example of covenant relationship. And that's a relationship that you have with Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. Marriage is our earthly example of our relation, eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Word of God gives us that in verses 28 through 30. I don't want to rush, but I don't want to dive into every verse, every word of every detail again, uh, because I get carried away. Uh, but... Um, we see here too, um, 
Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Paul's building up to this, isn't he? He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Why? Because we are members of his body. So now here we are, members of the body of Christ again. He's the head, we're in the church. But then he says this. Oh my gosh, here he goes again. All the way back to Genesis chapter 2. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Guys, this is beautiful here. This is what God does. Husband and wife. You no longer belong to your parents. Each of you, we get married. We get married. God gives us this beautiful relationship. It's time to leave. It's time to cleave. He is joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So we have here, uh, see, we have this great mystery of oneness. We have this uh, great mystery of oneness that is talked about in Genesis chapter 2. God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That word there is corresponding counterpart. I will create, God says, a corresponding counterpart. And out of Adam, he creates Eve, the woman. And that's when Adam goes all poetry on him, right? My man's in love. He wakes up, he is in love. But this is a great mystery of two becoming one. Paul says this mystery is great, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ in the church. Come on, Paul, really? Are you going to do? So you, you get the picture, right? The great mystery is revealed. There's this thing that Jesus Christ in the Bible says he died for this thing. He died for this church. This church is a living organism. It's not an institution, a denomination, a group of buildings. It's you, each and every one of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You make up the church on Greenmount Avenue, and we all make up the church of Jesus Christ, the universal church of Jesus Christ in the world. And the mystery, the mystery is solved. You are in an eternal relationship with the Savior, the God who created you, and the Savior who died for you. And even if you try, you can't mess it up because it's a covenant relationship in which God says, even when you aren't faithful, he will be faithful. Amen? Amen. The mystery of oneness. The mystery of oneness is possible, or this oneness is possible because of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the New Testament that in cases of adultery, he said he, he gave people permission, but he said because of the hardness of your hearts, he gave people permission to divorce in cases of adultery. He didn't say in cases of adultery, get divorced, but he says because of the hardness of your heart, if that happens, he said, you know, Moses allowed the people in the Old Testament give your wife certificate of divorce. I'm going to talk about that a whole nother time when you talk about, well, what does God say about marriage and divorce? What does God say about these things? What does the Bible say, right? Because I'm going to be very careful and I'm going to be very biblical um, when we talk about these things. So today, the mystery of oneness. And then thirdly, and you've seen this throughout, the mystery of oneness is revealed. It's Jesus Christ loving the church. And he gives us this other beautiful relationship between a man and a woman called marriage in which we model, he gives us this beautiful friendship and relationship 
as a model of what our relationship with him can be like, should be like. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 33, he says, nevertheless, because Paul's going to throw it out there one more time, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Oh, my friends, husbands, guys, you know what? If we love our wives the way Jesus Christ loved the church, most wives with open arms will be willing to live in this biblical relationship with you as the leader, the spiritual leader, the protector, provider, priest to your family. She wants that. Most wives want to live in that relationship. Could a woman protect herself if you were not around? Absolutely. Ladies, I'm, I'm with you today, ladies. But you know what? In this marriage relationship, I have a fierce daughter, man. She don't play. I have a fierce wife. She don't need me. She loves me. She keeps me around because she loves me. But, so, but listen, men, listen. Most women, most women would love to thrive in a relationship in which they were loved by a man who loves them like Jesus loves his church. Ladies, nothing, nothing will blow a man up and make him feel confident and strong than you standing beside him and behind him saying, honey, you got this. Nothing. That man will go through fire for you, ladies, when you say, honey, you can do this. You've got this. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you either. No, I didn't watch a silly love movie this weekend. You know what? Um, I am simply sharing with you things that the word of God through the Holy Spirit has, has revealed uh, to much smarter people than me who say it much better than I do. But even in a sinful, broken world in which your spouse will not always get it right and you will not always get it right, you can still function in this beautiful oneness because of Jesus Christ, because as a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit. And I promise you, uh, that what I just told each of you, men and ladies, is the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth of what God can do in your marriage, in your, in your marriage relationship. Listen, you say, I, you don't understand, Pastor. Um, it's too late for me. Or you don't understand, Pastor, what I've been through. I, you know what? With all sincerity in my heart, I don't know what many of you have been through. And I do not, would not ever minimize that. You may have been in a marriage where you suffered greatly and you are no longer in that marriage. You, you may have been the faithful spouse who tried to honor your spouse and it just didn't work the way you wanted it to. I promise you this, God is not a waster. And... Jesus Christ, who is the lover of your soul, man or woman, Jesus Christ, who is the lover of your soul, has never left you or forsaken you through that time. He will redeem what the world has stolen. 
He will redeem what a broken world tried to mess up. It may not look the same. It may, it, it may not even mean that, 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 that marriage is on the horizon again. I don't know. I don't know what you've been through. I only know what the Word of God says. And I know, I know that the God of second chances is a God who forgives our sins, is a God who created us, is a Savior who loves us. And he gives us this picture of marriage. He gives us this picture of marriage so that we can better understand our relationship with him. So friends, I'd just like to close this morning in just a moment. Jason will come and lead us in some more worship. And dads, today on this Father's Day, um, we honor you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. A God who is a God of second chances, you know what? It's never too late. It's never too late. God gives us opportunities. It may not look like what you think it was going to look like, but he will.